So good to be with you here today. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Kevin Illich, and it's an honor to be with you here today. Just want to give a quick shout out to our Lancaster family who's watching live right now. We love you, Lancaster. Everybody watching online. And hey, if you are new with us here today, uh, you caught us at a great time. It is week two of our Relationship Goals series. And last week, Pastor Tim kicked it off by talking any and everything uh, about singleness. Uh, people who are single and ready to mingle. We're going to have an area for you in the back, man. If you're single, if you want to shoot up your hand and just let somebody know if you're single in this place, a great place to meet. That's right. I see a few hands. That's good. It was just a joke. It was just a joke. <laughs> but Pastor Tim taught us that, uh, hey, if uh, you're single, instead of just looking for your better half, what if you focused on becoming a whole person, right? If you become a whole person, if you become a whole one, then God will bring the two. And what comes after that? What comes after when God does bring the two and you find somebody that, that you want to spend the rest of your life with? Then today we're going to talk about marriage. And I just want to put a quick disclaimer out today. And uh, if you have little kids with you, okay, uh, we're talking about marriage. And we talk about marriage, talk about certain things. And I just, if I had to give this message a rating, I'd probably say PG-13. Okay, so and we have a great kids ministry. They, they do great. So I just want to give you a few minutes to do that if you need to. Um, just a quick disclaimer. Uh, but today I want to talk about a moment that I think I'm most proud of in my entire life. Uh, this moment that I had planned out, that I was in complete control over. Um, you know how sometimes special days can pass and you just didn't plan enough and it doesn't happen? Well, this one I was ready for. It was the day that I was going to ask my now wife, Andrea, to marry me. And she's in this experience. Can we give it up just for Andrea real quick, man? I need all the brownie points I can get. And listen, uh, when I decided that I was going to pop the question, I knew that I had to do it right. And so there was a few things that I felt like was necessary when I was planning this day. Um, first thing, uh, and all of you know this who have a Pinterest, you need to have professional pictures of the moment that you propose like live action time like on my knee like the tears hopefully and you know like hopefully it's not like them saying no you know but like, you need live pictures so I got with um, I don't know how many of you know Joey and Kelly Thompson at our Lancaster campus take great pictures man we love you guys if you're watching and um, so I kind of recruited their help and I said hey wouldn't it be cool if we went down to German Village in Columbus, and uh, there's a park down there, and wouldn't it be cool if you guys, like, hid behind the trees, and when I walked her up and popped the question, you guys, like, came out. And so uh, I thought that'd be really cool. Actually, uh, we went out the day before I proposed, and we were just scouting areas, and I just wanted to bring this picture with me just real quick, if you can throw it up there. This is the day before. Isn't that so cute? Like 30 seconds before we took this picture, though, there was a dude peeing in the pond, no joke. And it was like, just wait a little bit, you know, take an extra lap or something. I was ready. You can go ahead and take that down. Um, the other part that I wanted to make sure was really special um, was I needed, the, I needed a little head fake, you know? Like, we had been talking about taking the next step and getting engaged, and, and I knew that if I did anything too special that she would know it was coming. You know, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I, I needed a decoy. And so my, my master plan was this. I looked on Amazon, and I got a $10 um, cross necklace, okay? 
and, and it looked so fake and cheap, it was awesome. And I put it in a ring box. So here we go. Here's the, 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 the day of the uh, engagement. I was going to propose, and I took her to this really expensive restaurant that someone had uh, told me about. I had really skinny jeans on, and I stuffed two, two ring boxes in my pants, and um, that was another problem. But uh, so we go to this restaurant, and let me just tell you, I didn't know that restaurants could be that expensive. <laughs> um, so it was a really special dinner. I ordered off the kids' menu, okay? I was like, I'll have a peanut butter and jelly in a water, please. Um, and anyway, so I, at this dinner, my whole plan was I'm going to give her this necklace and totally fake her out. Um, so perfect thing happens. We're at the end of the meal. Like, the bill comes. I pay the bill. I think I just gave him my entire wallet. I said, just keep it all. Whatever's in there, you can have it. Uh, and Andrea went up to go to the bathroom. And I was like, this is the perfect time. This is, this is the moment. So I got out that ring, made sure it was the right one for that necklace. I put it in front of her seat. And she comes back, and she saw the ring box. You know, and that look on her face, like, You shouldn't have. And I was like, I know. And, uh, and dude, I milked it. It was great. She opens the necklace and just this like the fakest smile you've ever seen. And this look of horror. It was like, oh, thanks, you know. And, it, and dude, I went the whole way. Like I, I was like, do you like it? Do you mean it? You like it? You really like it? Okay, cool. So I got up and, and I moved her hair out of the way and I took the necklace and I put it on her and I said, I've been waiting to give this to you, you know? <laughs> I think I threw her off. Uh, so the next part of the night, once dinner was over, we were going to take a walk through this park. And um, I, I guess one thing I didn't plan for was how nervous I was going to be. Guys, were you nervous when you, I, I just, I had like recited even what I was going to say just so I wouldn't forget. And I was like, you know, in the mirror in the morning, Andrew, you make me the happy, you know, play with the eyes to make sure they're right. You know, Andrew, you make me the happiest man, you know, on the face of the earth. Will you marry me? Andrew, you make me the happiest man on the face of the earth. Will you marry me? Andrew, you make me the happiest man on the face of the earth. And I'm walking, and my heart's beating, and I'm try I hope that the camera people are in the right spot. And I just, you know, I'm hoping that nobody's peeing in the lake, because that would be really terrible to have a picture of that. And, and we finally get there, and I froze. I didn't know what to do. Good news, photographers were there, uh, but also bad news, photographers were there. Um, anyway, so I took Andrea and I turned her around and I, I think I just giggled. <laughs> I, I think, I guess, <laughs> and I got on one knee and I proposed. And, and the hard part was she didn't say anything either because <laughs> I didn't ask her any questions. But I think, you can show this picture. Here's a picture of the moment, real time. I think that meant yes. Come on, give it up, somebody. Let's go. I worked really hard on that moment. Because we're happily married with two kids, I think it was a yes. But looking back, you know, my whole recited speech, would you make me the happiest man in the world? I'm kind of glad I didn't say that. Because... That's a lot of pressure to put on another human being. I mean, you guys know. Like, in society, I think one of the things is, is we put so much investment, so much stock in marriage being our primary goal, our primary source of happiness. And let me tell you, I have experienced moments of happiness, moments of joy that I never thought were possible in my marriage. But 
let me tell you, there's a lot more that goes into my happiness and your happiness than just a spouse. And sometimes if you put that much pressure on one person, you're left um, to be disappointed. And you see this in society. You see this, uh, people who, who, who love each other and, and they get married and they're picturing this happy life and, you know, happy wife, happy life, right? And, and then all of a sudden, real life starts to happen. All of a sudden, the expectations that you had for this partnership are not measuring up. All of a sudden, you go through some things that really test what it's like to be happy with each other. All of a sudden, you have a kid who's crying and screaming all throughout the night, and, and I don't know if the word I would use to describe that is happy. What I want to say to you today is that maybe our relationship goal for marriage is different than God's relationship goal for marriage. Amen? Now, God's relationship goal for marriage might not just simply be happiness. Yes, that's a part, but maybe it's something even greater. And so we're going to be today in Matthew chapter 19. If you could open up on your electronic device or your Bible. Uh, we're going to be in verse 3 through 5. It says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. Now you see, uh, in this setting, Jesus is in Judea, and he's healing people at this time. He's healing people, but there's some Pharisees that are literally trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They're trying to test him and see what he thinks about some things. So they said some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? This is a weird question, uh, asking for a friend. Um, and Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, at, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see, I think we have a basic understanding of what it means when you say yes, when you say I do, how the two become one. You know, Jesus is referencing uh, the scripture we talked about last week, Genesis 2, and he's referencing how two become one. And I think we understand that in our culture today. You know, when you get married, you no longer have two last names, but you have one last name. You no longer have two addresses, you have one address. You no longer have two bank accounts, uh, you have a joint bank account. Uh, hopefully. And I haven't told Andrea this yet, but this morning we had one toothbrush, you know. Uh, I think we generally understand. Please forgive me. We generally understand. We generally understand this concept of oneness when it comes to marriage. Um, but Jesus says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I'm going to say it again. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And hey, if you're here today and you're married, I just want to tell you that you and your spouse are more than just two people who said yes to a lifelong partnership. You are more than just roommates. You are more than just cohorts in life. But, but you guys did not choose to be together. God chose to put you together. Can I say that again? You didn't choose to be God chose to put you together. So I believe that your marriage has so much more than just happiness. I believe that the oneness that you can experience is so beyond anything that you could ever ask or imagine. I believe that God wants to bring you in to what it's like to be truly one flesh. And he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I truly believe that today, uh, 
because our church, because extra, because we care about your marriages. We believe that God cares about your marriage. Even if you're not married yet today, I believe that there's uh, truths that you can take from these concepts and apply uh, to your marriage in the future. I believe that we should get really practical today. I think that I just want to give you a few things that have been important in my life and I believe are reaffirmed throughout Scripture to how we can experience true oneness in marriage. So the first thing, let's put it up on the screen. Uh, I believe that one thing that's make or break in our marriages is our priorities. Can I get an amen? Our priorities. And I think one thing that you notice right away after you get married is that Everything seems really important. You know, and there's different seasons of life, and as the seasons change, what's important might be different. You know, maybe you're freshly married, and what's important to you is figuring out how to run a household, you know, figuring out how to provide, figuring out what it means to live with somebody 24-7, what it means to spend time together, what it means to uh, really clean things. I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, things that really seem important in that season. And then when you have kids, that season is filled with a whole bunch of different important things. And especially now in culture, like, it's really important how long uh, you breastfeed compared to bottle feed. It's really important, you know, how long uh, your kid sleeps in a bassinet uh, rather than sleeps in their own room. Uh, it's just really important. Uh, when uh, they go to the bathroom for themselves for the first time, like we should really, that's really important. And then there's other seasons of life, and, and I admire so many marriages in our church uh, because that they have been through these seasons. Maybe uh, you're married and you've been through a season of extreme loss. Maybe you lost a loved one, maybe you lost um, a child. And I have I, don't, I admire those marriages so much, the ones who have maintained their oneness through uh, that season. Uh, maybe uh, you've been through a season of extreme financial hardship in your marriage, where maybe it was nothing of your own doing, but maybe you or your spouse lost your job, and just like getting food on the table legitimately was a huge, uh, it was a huge, of huge importance. As seasons of life change, What's demanded of us as humans just interacting in this society, the importance of the things that we do also change. But how many of you know this truth, that if everything is important, then nothing is? If everything is important, then nothing is. And I believe that God wants you today to maybe consider in your heart, are you prioritizing your spouse over everything else? Are you prioritizing your spouse? And let me tell you, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. There's a lot of things that beg for our attention. Um, just the simple concept of what it means to be a family. Like, it really is, um, it really pulls at you a lot of different ways. Um, many of you have dreams of climbing corporate, the corporate ladder, and that's a great dream, and that's a great goal, you know. Um, what we have to make sure is that that's not the top priority in our life. You know, many of you really love your kids. And let me be the first to tell you that that is great. That God wants you to love your kids, of course. But let me tell you, too, that God also wants you to prioritize your spouse above your kids. Let me say it just one more time. God wants you to prioritize your spouse above your kids. 
And I know it's hard in society that sometimes if you do that, that you might get looked at as different or weird or less than. Let me tell you, God's very clear that, that of what priority your spouse should be in your life. You know, he says, wives, uh, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, prioritization. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving his very life for it. That's priority. That is the picture of how you're supposed to prioritize your spouse. And let me just give you guys a little bit of license today that if you feel like, you know, it's really hard in the season of life that you're in to prioritize what's really important, I truly believe that the best picture, the best thing that you could ever give your children is an image, is an example of what a godly marriage looks like. Come on. That's the best thing you can instill in your kids. And so how can we do that practically? You know, that's great, Kevin. You know, I, I'm, we're trying our best to prioritize everything. I'm just going to give you two things that people have uh, told me and I think have been really helpful uh, in my life so far. Uh, the very uh, first thing is prioritizing intentional time with your spouse. Prioritizing intentional time with your spouse. How many of you have a set date night on the calendar? Every week, every other week? I see a lot of elbows like, you know, like, I told you so. I knew we needed to do that. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble today. You know, and I, that could look very different. You're like, hey, Kevin, it's not in the budget. We can't do that every week. I can't just go. To be intentional doesn't have to be expensive. Like, one of my favorite things to do with my wife uh, is to take the kids, pawn them off uh, to whoever wants to keep them, and then go right back home, and we watch Netflix and chill. You know? That's what we do. And if you don't know what that means, ask a teenager, and they'll tell you straight up. Netflix and chill. Urban Dictionary. Just kidding. Another thing that someone told me that was super helpful is, uh, and I'll just say it this way, prioritize PDA every day. PDA every day. You're like, oh, he went there. Yeah, I did. Listen, what would it look like for you to be intentional about prioritizing intimacy with your spouse? Now, I'm not talking about the other, we're going to talk about that later, so you don't worry about that. We'll get there. But what would it look like to set the example every day that, hey, I love you. I'm affectionate towards you. You know, one way I do this is uh, it's when I come home from work every day and I walk in the door and my kids are at the age, you know, when they're clawing at me, grabbing at me, you know, want to hug me and give me a kiss. And it's the cutest thing in the world. But my kids come up to me and I push them off to the side. <laughs> and I'm looking for mommy. Where is mommy? Mommy gets the first kiss, and Mommy gets an extra special kiss. Then I'll give you a kiss. Extra special kiss. Let's pray. God, we just... I believe that if you prioritize intentional time, if you prioritize affection, if you prioritize your spouse that God can bring a oneness to your marriage that you've never seen before. Amen? Amen. Amen. Another thing uh, that I want to talk about today, let's just put it up on the screen. Let's just get right to it. One thing that can make or break your marriage is sex. Just let that sit just for a second. Let's talk about sex, baby. Um, we're going to talk about it today. 
Because we love you. Because God loves you. That's why he gave us sex, because God loves us. Now listen, one thing I've noticed is that sex is one of the biggest problem spots when it comes to marriages. And I think that's for a few reasons. When I think about my life, I think one of the first things I had to work through was my own opinion of what sex should and shouldn't be. You know, maybe many of you, you grew up in church, and you uh, were told very clearly what to think about sex. Sex is dirty. Sex is bad. Run from sex before marriage. Do not even hold hands. Do not even wear any clothing that's revealing. Like sex, if you have sex before marriage, you will go straight to hell. And that same pastor marries you and says, go and multiply the earth. It's like, what? And then we have culture's view on sex, which is try it before you buy it. Practice makes perfect. That sex is not anything more than just a physical experience. And let me just tell you that I believe that God thinks differently about sex. I believe that God doesn't want us to cheapen sex to what society tells us that it is. Amen? If I can say it this way, sex is like a knife. Sex is like a knife. In one context, it's a weapon. But in the right context, it's a tool. In one context, it can destroy. But how God intended for us to use this tool that he's given us, man, you use a knife in the kitchen, you can make something pretty good. Let me just tell this. I think that the hardest thing for people who are newly married, this is a freebie, the hardest thing for people who are newly married is their preconceived notions of what sex should be. And here's the other problem. Their, their entire life they have given everybody who's had dinner with them a knife. That you think that in order to get somebody to love you that you have to let them in your kitchen and give them a knife. And let me just tell you that that will wound you. If that's you, then you are using sex against yourself as a weapon. And if he loves you, he won't go close to the butcher block. I think that oftentimes, too, in our marriages, we can use sex as a weapon instead of as a tool. I think that society and culture just the way that they normalize sex and almost have turned it into the most selfish thing. Like, it's self-care. Like, sex isn't spiritual. It's just, but it's just, it's self-care. To the point where we as a society have deemed a healthy marriage as one where both people have all of their needs met and that if you don't, can't get your needs met from one source, that it is absolutely okay to go to another source. And let me tell you that if that's you, you are cutting yourself with this knife. That if you constantly find yourself deleting your phone history every time you're around your spouse, then you are cutting yourself. I truly believe that God has so much more intended for us when it comes to sex, which is this great tool. It is the, it is the physical representation of oneness. Did you know that? And you know what God's picture of sex is, I believe? I believe God's picture of sex 
is two people learning how to cook together in the kitchen, if you know what I mean. Everybody expects, like, culture tells you that, you know what, you, don't, you never want to marry someone who, who doesn't know how to cook, if you know what I'm saying, if you get the analogy. You're going to spend the rest of your life with them. But I disagree with that, and I think that God disagrees with that. You want to marry somebody who you can learn to cook with, because guess what? The first time you made your meal, it wasn't great anyway, but God wants you to get better with somebody. And we're going to do a lot of cooking in our marriage, and we're going to learn together. Put me on Food Network. It's going to be a great time. Listen. God wants you to use sex to create oneness. Amen? The Bible says, husbands, uh, love your wives uh, as there are your own body. If you want something, if you desire something, the best way to get it is to give it. That if you feel like your needs aren't being met, the best thing to do is to meet their needs. That if you feel like a lack of intimacy and a lack of spark, and, or if, you're, you know, if you gain 15 pounds and things are just different now, and they don't have a six-pack anymore, listen, the best thing that you can do is meet their needs. Meet their needs. Because I truly believe that sex is meant to be the most generous thing that we can give to somebody. And in the context of marriage... That is unifying. The best sex advice that the Bible could give us is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Come on. I believe that God wants you to be generous with this inside of marriage. And it is this beautiful tool of oneness that sex as a tool can make your oneness. Sex as a weapon can break it. Amen. Amen. So let's move on. And the next practical tip I have, uh, the practical thing I want to talk about is one thing that can make or break our oneness, and that is our ability to forgive. That there are so many things in life, there's things in our marriages that, that really cause us to butt heads. You know, even the Bible says, as an iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I think that's a great picture of marriage. Is that sometimes when you really love someone and when you really care for someone, it ends up in sparks. You know, and sometimes when you have sparse, something has to fly away and sometimes it hurts. And I believe that that in order for you to experience a oneness, the oneness in marriage that God wants you to experience, that you will learn how to forgive constantly, how to forgive constantly. And I believe that it's the best way to deal with the residual of problem solving, if that makes any sense. You know that they say that marriage is 90% solving problems. We think that our marriage is going to be vacations in Jamaica, you know, and building a beautiful house. And, but really, when you get married, what you find out is that 90% of what you're doing with your spouse is solving problems. Hey, we're not communicating. How can we solve that problem? Hey, this kid needs to go there. How can we solve that problem? It's a lot of problem solving. It's a lot of trying to figure everything out. And let me tell you that if you don't have a heart of grace and a heart of forgiveness towards your spouse, and if you expect them to be perfect then you will end up with a hard heart. And I believe that there is nothing more dangerous in a marriage than when you end up with a hard heart. You know, it goes on to say, they, they asked Jesus, then why did Moses say in the law that a man give his wife a written notice of divorce 
and send her away, they asked Jesus. You see, back in that time, uh, the husbands, their hearts were so hard, and they would leave the wife of their youth to go and be promiscuous. Uh, but what would happen is, is, in such a misogynistic culture, the woman was stuck and had nowhere to go. And so it got to the point where Moses permitted divorce only if you would give them a certificate and free them uh, to be an honor member of society again because their hearts were hard. It says Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. It's really easy in marriages to get a hard heart. What I want to tell you today that I don't know what season of life you're in. I don't know if you feel like your priorities have been all messed up. I don't know if you feel like the intimacy between you and your spouse is completely gone, completely shot. But I'll tell you one thing that can unify you again is if you would forgive. Because so often we look at our spouse and, and we think that our marriage is a spouse problem. But really what it is, it, it's a heart problem. It's a self problem. And that your ability to experience oneness with your spouse is equivalent to your ability to forgive them. And you, I know it's so hard. I know that they've done things that are irreconcilable. Maybe your problem is forgiving yourself for what you did to drive a wedge in your marriage. But I believe that we're able to forgive because Jesus forgave us first. Well, Kevin, you don't understand. You have no idea what, what they did to me. You have no idea. This has been building over time, that one thing after the other, that they haven't been meeting my needs. They haven't been carrying their weight. They haven't been letting me provide for our family. They're just so needy. They want me around. And, and let me just tell you, let me just tell you today, that the way that you feel like your spouse is treating you if that's the case. That's how God, that's how we treat God. Can I say that? Is that we are so offensive towards God. Did you know that sin, what it does to us and God in our relationship, sin separates us from God relationally. Sin puts distance between us and God. And in this whole life, I think we spend our whole time trying to figure out how we can close this distance. Maybe in your marriage, you're feeling this distance growing and growing and growing and growing. And, and you're trying this and you're trying that and you're trying counseling. But no matter what you're doing, all you feel is distance. And maybe we should take a note from Jesus who closed the gap for us and our sins. Did you know that God wanted to experience oneness with us so much that he went to extreme lengths to do so. That God thought that that distance was so bad, that it was so bad for us, it was so bad for him. He loved us too much to leave that distance there that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die a penalty that we could never repay. And let me tell you, it's a beautiful picture of you and your spouse and how to forgive because maybe your spouse can never repay you for what they did to you. And maybe you can never forgive yourself for what you did to them. But I believe that marriage is supposed to be the epitome, the picture of forgiveness. 
And that if we can learn to prioritize our spouse above everything else, if we can learn what it's like to be intimate with them and build an intimate relationship of oneness, and if we can learn how to forgive constantly, I believe that we'll experience the fullness of oneness that God intends for marriage. Amen. I want to do something special today. That if you're here in this room or in Lancaster and you are with your spouse, or maybe you came to church today and, and for some reason um, you're by yourself, if you're in a marriage relationship, would you just stand up? We're going to pray today. I just want to invite my wife to come up here and stand with me too. If you are seated right now, if you can just extend a hand over uh, a married couple around you. just want to have a special moment today before God. Let's pray. God, we come to you today. God, as a room full of imperfect people. And God, every one of us has made mistakes. Every one of us have fallen short of your glory, have, have failed to meet expectations that we have of each other. But God, thank you that your grace is so big and that your grace is so wide and that you love us so much, Jesus, that you do something about that gap that we feel. That God, you sent your son for us to pay the penalty for our sins, something that we could never repay. And God, we believe, we stand here in this moment understanding that marriage is your representation of the love that you have for us. And so, God, I pray that if there's any offenses that are built up between any marriage right now in this room, that your grace would tear them down. That, God, that there would be a spirit of unity that flows through every marriage. God, I pray for conversations after this Sunday, after this message, God, that would bring healing, true healing, God. And I pray for conversations, Jesus, that would bring a new season. That, God, I feel like there's marriages in this room represented who maybe you look at each other after 18 years and you realize you don't know who you are anymore. But, God, I pray, I pray that you would unify those marriages. And God, I pray that what you have joined together, let no man separate, including ourselves. God, we know that the, our marriages are more than just co-living. Our marriages are more than just a partnership. That our marriages are holy. That we didn't choose each other, but you chose us to be together. So God, I pray for new mission. I pray for new vision. I pray that you would breathe a fresh sense of unity into every spousal relationship in this room, God. I pray that ministry would come from these marriages, God. I pray that missionaries would come from these marriages, Jesus. I pray that youth leaders would come from these marriages. I pray that givers would come from these marriages. I pray that generosity would flow from every marriage relationship in this room, Jesus. And God, I get the sense that there is somebody in this room at church by themselves and that they want nothing more than oneness with their spouse but they realize that their spouse doesn't have any oneness with you and if you're in this room today I feel like God wants me to tell you that he sees you and he wants me to tell you that, that your faith makes a difference and there's so many stories in scripture of, of the faith of a spouse did you know that your oneness with Christ will bring oneness in your marriage? It's a promise. And so, God, I pray for everybody in this room that's represented here with that struggle. God, I pray that you would bring peace. 
God, I pray that you would bring clarity. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to lead. I pray, God, that you would come first, God, in our lives and that our spouse would, would also be a great priority, Jesus. I pray that you would give us the ability to love well even when it's hard. I pray that you would give us the ability to communicate well even when it's hard. God, I pray for a breakthrough, for a miracle for everyone in this room. God, we love you and we thank you for this gift of marriage. And we thank you that your relationship goal for marriage isn't just happiness, but it's oneness. And we love you, Jesus. And we're so thankful for your presence and all God people said together. Amen, amen. Hey, listen, let's give it up for God's word today. Here's what I know is that I'm so thankful that you allowed me to share with you today. Uh, it's been a blessing. Um, we uh, expect big things. We expect God to ha uh, perform breakthroughs in this series, and, and I'm so thankful to be a part of it. So thank you, everybody. We love you. Can we give it up just one more time for God's word? Amen.